Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. Now, you know I'm passionate about human-centered leadership. I keep seeing that week on week. And life is full of challenge and opportunity, and perhaps the global pandemic is a great example of the fact that we are living and working in constant change. But let's be honest, our life is down to us, and we've got to become the architect of our own career. In fact, we've got to become the architect of our own happiness. So come back to me after this break. I'll be talking to a fantastic guest who spent 22 years in the financial services industry, and we'll hear all about her journey as she's become the architect of her own career. In a constantly changing world, today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Well, here we are for another episode of the Leadership Enigma, and I'm delighted to welcome Lale Tovchola to this episode. And if I've said that wrong, Lale, you're going to tell me for sure. Uh, that's right. But I just want to say a massive welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, taking part. Oh, thanks for having me. And you did just fine with the last name. Oh, there we go. That's a that's a great start then for this episode. Listen, it's brilliant that you've you've joined me. As I said in the intro, you've had twenty two uh, years within financial services as a financial services professional, especially in the investment banking side of things. Um, that successful con- career continues, but really, I wanted to talk to you about your journey. Everyone's got a journey, and when we spoke a few weeks ago. Uh, I thought you had a fantastic story to tell uh, along the lines of the intro, which was about being the architect of your own career and dreaming big. And I love that. And, you know, for myself with two teenagers who I hope go on to do anything and everything they want to do, this is this is a passionate subject for me. So welcome to the Leadership Enigma. Welcome to the architect of your own career and happiness. And so, Lale, tell us a little bit about your story. <laughs> oh, where to start from? I, um, I guess we'll start from the, the 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 beginning, so that you know everybody can get a feel for the journey. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Turkey, and as you know, people who know me know I'm I'm openly gay. And one of the challenges was around actually primary school yep. uh, when I sort of noticed something was different about me. <laughs> now at that age, you know, being different, you just, it's, it's hard to pinpoint, right? For a number of years, I went through the whole motions of, you know, what's, what's different about me? Why am I so different? What's wrong with me? Uh, and that comes with a whole set of demons, good yeah. or bad. <laughs> um, and in that, in that process, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I know we'll touch upon this later is I, I, I was introduced to the world of wonderful world of sports. Yeah. It was my hideout. So it's interesting. So I have two children and my children are extreme extroverts. Uh, it's like, it's like, it's like a punishment to me <laughs> who, who always grew up with having very few friends. And if you think about being different, right. I mean, sometimes I look at my son and I say, you know, I'm like, I rarely had any friends uh, when I was growing up. And he says, what was wrong with you? And I was like, probably everything. <laughs> and that's what I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I couldn't fit in. Like I, I just, you know, I, I wasn't a girly girl. I didn't do the whole girly things. I, you know, I just couldn't connect and, and we can't connect 
you know, it's it, it's a fairly lonely world, I, I have to admit. Um, so I connected to sports. Right. I, I, you know, um, and that's an interesting case for me because it was literally one of those days I was just hanging out by the basketball court and this guy was playing this guy was playing and he just kicked the ball to me and that's the first time I ever picked up a basketball and I just taught myself how to play and I never gave up I would play four five hours a day during the summer heat in Turkey and that could be as as bad as 40 I bet you got you got pretty good at basketball as well I know well, not as good as, you know, some of the professional ones, of course, but <laughs> as good as I can be, right, I it, 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 it gave me confidence, right? So I certainly lacked a lot of confidence by just this notion that I'm different and I don't really fit in. So I really use sports to, to complement that because when, you know, when we were playing basketball and I got a little bit into soccer too, yeah. you know, I was fearless. It just didn't matter who you were and what age were you, what gender you were, it just didn't matter. I would just take you on. And that that confidence was was so good for my mental health. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when we uh, talked a few weeks ago, you mentioned that sport was your safe harbour. And I thought that was a really interesting phrase because there's an interesting dynamic going on here as well because you said you lacked confidence, but when you were in a sporting environment, you were fearless and you were full of confidence and you could almost compete with anyone. So how did you reconcile that? Yeah, the, the beautiful thing about sports is it's an equalizer, right? When, yeah. when you're playing, it just doesn't matter. The challenge though, where I think sports sort of resemble real life, the challenge is, and I'm going to digress a little bit, but it's getting into the game, right? So I'll give you an example. You know, the guys in my town here, they play pre-coronavirus. They played in the outside courts right. every summer. And I would run by them. And, you know, I just really wanted to join in. And it took me, you know, almost two years to get onto that email list. I don't, I don't think they were malicious or anything. It just, you know, it was just hard. And you get questions like, well, did you play in college? And I'm right. thinking, did you ask the guys the same question if they played in college? And then you get silly things, right? You know, nobody wants to pick the girl. So it's always like, oh, you know, somebody go take the girl and then somebody always makes the joke. And it's it's just doesn't matter whether you're like 10 years old or you're like 45. Somebody always makes the joke. They say, oh, I mean, we can be darks or colors in the shirts, but we can also take our shirts off. And I'm thinking I've come this far. You really think playing in my sports bra is going to be like is going to deter me from playing? <laughs> And I, and I even got around to that too. You're going to laugh at him, but I actually bought a Jersey, like one of those basketball training Jersey. That's, that's, um, that's, you can just turn inside out. So reversible. A light color or a dark color, reversible. <laughs> so I even covered that basis. Um, but anyway, so finally I got in, but that's, the, I mean, it resembles real life because I think in real life too, you know, when you think from a DNI perspective, right? Yeah. The, the challenge is having somebody take a chance on you. And that is, that is so critical because you can have all the confidence in the world, but if nobody gives you the opportunity, it, you can't get to where you want to get to. Um, and I think, so for me, it was always, you know, yes, like I use sports, but even sports at that early on, until the game starts, you still have to have somebody take a chance on you, right? Eventually yeah. somebody picks the girl. So do you remember when, someone took a chance on you is there some is there a moment that really sticks out for you where someone really said 
yeah, come come with me. Yeah. Come with me. Come over here. Yeah, I, it definitely did. And it helped my, it really propelled my career. Now, I think it's, I would say there's always some sort of luck that I think helps you, right? I think it's just, it, it's part of the equation. But I think part of it is also creating your own luck and your own situation. So somebody is willing to take a chance on you. Um, it actually happened multiple times where, you know, I've been given opportunities in running businesses that rhymed with my experience, but wasn't exactly identical. So they had to take a chance and say, we think you can do it. Um, and, and it has been a life changing experience because once you're given that chance and you can prove yourself, then it, it builds this momentum on its own. Now, with that said, other the opposite has happened too, right? Where I've had I struggle to take have people take a chance on me because sometimes in Wall Street, the way we think about roles, it's just very boxy. You have to be A, B, C, D, and the F. And if you don't fill into these if you don't check all the boxes, yeah. sometimes you're just not given the opportunity. But alternatively, I mean, one of the other things, and I'm sure you heard of this, there's also this notion, there's the glass ceiling, but there's also the glass cliff, right? Um, and, and, and I've taken, in my career, I've taken one very particular role where I knew it was probably going to be a glass cliff. Um, but I took it with the notion that I'm going to try it. And if I fail at it, I'm just going to take whatever I learn out of it right. and then we'll, we'll brand it and then we'll figure out what to do with it later on. And it will just be an experience. Um, so I've done both and, and I have okay. no problem. I mean, failing is hard, right? I try not to take it personally, but it, it all comes down to that mental uh, sort of algebra that you do to try to figure out, okay, where did I fail and how do I never, ever repeat that again? See, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that comes back to that fearlessness again that you spoke of on the basketball court or the football pitch. And you talk about the glass cliff where if you fail, you'll deal with the learning that comes from it, whatever that might be. And in, in many ways, you know, you went to Wall Street, so you had to battle the norms of Wall Street. And many people might go into law, into engineering, into finance, whatever it might be. And there are norms associated with it. So how do you break through those norms? And and you said you couldn't work out what it was like to be different, but actually sometimes being different and breaking the norms and having the courage to do that allows you to authentically take your rightful place within an ecosystem. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, I think there are, there are multiple pl- uh, things that are at play there. One, right. I think it depends on the firm and the firm's culture. Yep. Um, you know, I think things are changing, right? Even Wall Street. I mean, I've, I've been around for 22 years and I know that sounds like a long time, but you know, even today at financial services, they're making big strides yep. on, on a lot of the aspects of things that I was just challenged with on representation, et cetera. Um, so things are improving. So the firm called culture matters a lot because some, some cultures, they just embrace change and they just take off. So that's one of the angles. The other angle is more about, I've always thought of it as, let me, I always looked at it almost like, I guess, sports. Right. What are the rules of the game? And what are the rules that just sound silly or just unnecessary where perhaps there's a way to nudge it a little bit? Obviously, you can't really do that in sports. But, you know, when you think of the rules of the game, think of it as rules of engagement. I guess I always take in the approach that 
I'm gonna play with the uh, by the rules yeah. as as much as I can, but the, with the goal that I want to get to a point where I have the seniority where I'm given a seat at the table. Because one of the things that I think I observed where if you don't have a seat at the table where a lot of these discussions are taking business building, DNI, and whatever it may be, you have no idea what the conversations are. So from the outside, it's so hard to influence. And the only way you can influence that conversation from the outside is using allies, right? That's that's obviously one tool. Yeah. But I always wanted to be part of that conversation. And the only way I can be part of that conversation is play by the rules, maybe change it on the margin a little bit until I get a seat at the table. And then once I get a seat at the table, then then I start poking. <laughs> right. I, look, you've been in senior leadership roles with, within the financial services for many years now. So you fought and you battled and you had the courage, as you say, to get a seat at the table. I want to go backwards in order to go forwards because you had actually an early desire to lead, didn't you? I want you to tell me a little bit about when you realized you actually wanted to lead, even with as you say, there's some of the challenges you had early on with thinking, I don't fit in and I need to I need to work through that. You had an early desire to lead. Can you track it back to this? I want to be an influencer. I want to be a voice at the table. I want to uh, be a catalyst for change. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, maybe it's because when I started playing basketball, I became a point guard. So I don't think it can be, it can be any more opinionated and controlling than just being a point guard. Uh, <laughs> now, anyone who watches basketball will get that. Other people who don't watch basketball may think I, I, I don't get it. But anyway, there we go. No, I mean, it's even to this date, I think I'm an odd duck. I, I always think about, I've always thought about leading. It, I've never dreamed about being a follower. You know, when I go for runs or, you know, I'm just in my head listening to my music yep. and it's, it's, I always daydream about what am I going to do next and how do I lead? Like, those are the things that I daydream about as opposed to, you know, what's my day job is like and have I made the right investment decisions? Um, it, it's hard to find a catalyst, really. Um, I think maybe it was because being so different, I felt so lonely um, earlier on and, and I think I just realize and, and you know my family i guess education has always always been about you know treating everybody equal treat everybody respectfully give yeah. everybody the equal chance i mean that that runs very strongly in my family so i suspect that probably rubbed off on me a little bit as well um and i think just being different you know when i struggled regardless of how hard i worked right like i was never the popular person in school right obviously <laughs> But uh, and then and then you work really hard and then you realize, you know, you you know, there will be I mean, I'll give you a simple example. Okay. Right. There will be there will be a thing of we had one thing actually very explicitly. I remember where the the class would vote on like, you know, electing like a class representative or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you have the qualifications, but, you know, there's a zero chance you will actually get it because you're not the popular person. And I think these things just just gave me ammunition to be like, okay, like I am going to be, I'm just going to change it. It's not right. It's just not, you know, I know how hard I'm working and it just doesn't feel right. It's really hard to find a cat. Like I, I don't know. I think it's an accumulation of gotcha. 
probably the whole journey. <laughs> school is school is horrible, isn't it? Just generally, I, I'm I'm thinking back to my own childhood now, or even, or even you know who school knows. School is hard. Yeah, school is hard. I think kids are just yeah. generally horrible to each other. And so, do you find that some of those challenges whilst you were at school, as you say, of thinking you you were different and how do you fit in, and and not the popular kid, and so many of us were not the popular kid at school. <laughs> Was that a driver for you? Was that a, a set of memories and experiences where you thought, actually, I'm in charge here. I'll be the architect of, of my my path, my success, and my career. Is that driving you? I think so. I think that's a good way of putting it. I okay. mean, I think even to this day, right, it's um, – I did multiple things, right? So, one, it's interesting. So, in, in college, you know, being the point guard – you know, one of my skill sets, which I sadly probably am not even remotely as good at it anymore, but you know, I can dribble around anybody, right? You can, you can put everybody on me and you wouldn't be able to get the ball. Um, we're going to play always... basketball after COVID. You know that, right? Lali? When I'm next in New York, I'm let me tell you, we're now. playing basketball. So uh, you, you can teach. Now. Oh, I don't believe that for a second. But, uh, but uh, you know, but what I think it's so interesting because you would see these scouts that would, I mean, I played division three, right? It's not like division one or division two. And you would see these scouts that would come and, and watch you play and et cetera. And yeah. I think what, what they always underestimated is when they they would press me three on one or sometimes four on one, it actually was a kicker for me. It was, it wasn't, I wasn't intimidated. It actually was just like, okay, bring it on. I mean, it was just a challenge, which actually only made me better. And, and the workforce is the same too. One of my biggest, biggest motivating factors is when somebody tells me, I can't do it. And my response is always like, really? I'm pretty sure I can. Right. And it's, and it's that getting into that. And it's all mental, right? You just have to get into your head that you can do it. And that's, and you just keep pushing. You just keep pushing. You find other avenues and you find allies, you find sponsors, you ask for help. You, yeah, you just, you just keep, you just keep forging the path it's like it's like a river running down downstream right you it can, find you can a put way. a rock we'll just i'll just find a way i'll just go around and i'll find a different way this is just such a relevant topic i mean i don't mind if people are listening to this is the ceo of a multinational or my teenage kids this is relevant to everyone this has been a tough time you know the pandemic's been a, a globally shared experience it's been very individual for people and, and let's be honest it's been challenging in, in a number of ways and finding the resilience and the mental toughness you talk about to find a way. I love that analogy of the river. It will find a way to move downhill, whatever the obstacle. And and, and certainly you seem to have done that and, and risen through the ranks, got to the table to be part and parcel of the conversation. Um, but let's also be honest, you, you know, you talked to me earlier about the fact that you've, you've learned as you've gone and you're not frightened of failure and you've screwed things up and you've learned from oh, yes, screwing definitely. things up. So tell me a little bit about, yeah, you screwed it up, but you learned the lesson and you carried the lesson forward because failure is data. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, now that I'm older and wiser, uh, <laughs> I can reflect back to earlier years of having a leadership role, right? Okay. Uh, well, what I was lucky that, you know, at an age of 30, you know, uh, my employer gave me um, a chance to, to run a fairly large business right. uh, and run a team that sat across the globe. Um, the challenge is I kind of didn't know how to do it. <laughs> um, and, and, and little things that I did, which all made sense at that time. Now I look back and I was just like, 
boy. And like, they were, they were just wrong. So little things, micromanagement. Yep. Total team spirit killer. <laughs> uh, and, and when I think about why was I macromanaging, I think part of it was also, again, this goes back to mental health to a certain degree. You know, in our business, we get under so much stress, so much stress and pressure to deliver. Yeah. And the challenge that I found, I think at that time, I was under so much stress that I just almost withdrew to my shell. So instead of doing the opposite and delegating, right. I would I just more moved on to, well, I can just do it on my own because it just needs to get done. And I and, and that's a mistake that I've learned because it has consequences on people development, on on, on team morale, and it, and it actually eventually comes and bites you, right? So that's number one. Right. Um, number two was just the communication, right? In my head, I knew I was going from point A to point B, but it turns out if you never communicate to your team that you want to go from point A to point B, they kind of don't know. Yeah, so for an outsider, in translation. <laughs> totally. So for an outsider, they were probably looking at me like, why are we doing all this? Like, what's the purpose? So I think I was, I was sprinting so fast instead of seeing it like a marathon, which is just sort of the, the cliche. I was trying to sprint a marathon. And in that regard, I was doing shortcuts, which wasn't making a whole lot of sense. And as a result, I wasn't getting, at some points, I wasn't getting the buy-in from the team. Right. And, and that's a mistake I won't ever do again because it, it, created, it created a whole host of challenges, which I probably could have avoided the entire thing. But like I said, at 30 years old, running you know a business that, I was privileged to be given the opportunity, but I just, I just didn't know. And I, and the other mistake I did, which I don't do anymore, I didn't know how to ask for help. I think right. I, I, I thought in the case of wall street, you know, being a female is already hard. If you're gay, black or any of the other DNI strains, I think it's just even gets harder. And then it just, I raised in my hand to be like, guys, I kind of don't know how to do this. I, just, I it sounds silly, but I, almost thought they would take the the opportunity away from me. <laughs> right. Um, so I think... This I is just, part of the norms again. Afraid. Battling the norms of thinking you can't show vulnerability and that's exactly what you wanted or needed to do. Yeah, I mean, look, and I and I and I think due to high stress too, there was there was yeah. a period. It wasn't always this rosy, right? I mean, there was a period where I talk a lot more openly now, which will probably come to a surprise to a lot of people is... I was, there was a point I was in a bad, bad place mentally. I was angry all the time. I was short tempered. I was yelling at my kids nonstop. It didn't take much to like spark an anger out of me. Um, I would have like stomach cramps on Sunday because I didn't feel like going to work on Monday. I was wow. that miserable. Um, and, and eventually, you know, I had to take a break, but you know, I, I reached to a breaking point and this is where I think, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I have a I have a partner in crime who basically called me out and said right. you you got to stop. You either stop or go into therapy, do something because you're about to explode. And that was a wake up call. And it was it was hard, oh. right? I mean, again, yeah. I think my my employer never knew about it because I again goes back to the vulnerability. I just I just I just didn't have the guts to raise my hand and say guys, I need help. I'm dying here. Um, so it's so such I, a 
timely episode this is such a timely episode lale and i i'm i want to thank you as well it's it's lovely to have such a candid and it's courageous conversation i spoke to uh shana mara who's the professor of experimental brain research a couple of weeks ago and i said to him shane you know what is the consequence and the mental health consequence of the pandemic and he said they just don't know yet it's too soon but there is something coming down the road that we're all gonna have to deal with uh because of the pandemic and i think what you're talking about there is going to resonate with so many people uh, and and people are going to have to have difficult conversations with themselves and as you say your partner was in, in many ways a savior radical candor uh, of everyone <laughs> everyone needs someone right and someone to turn around and say this isn't working for you yeah i mean absolutely right i mean i think so, so and then i'll i'll pivot it to the positive side yeah. I, so in in that point what i really found what was working for me is you know, again, I, I went back to sports because um, okay. with the high intense schedule, you know, I wasn't just taking the time off for myself, for my mental health, for my physical health and just having that recharge moment. Right. So I went back to sports. I, um, I took some time off. But in that time, I rejoined the gym, high intensity training, got back into kickboxing man, like punching that bag. Oh, it's just, I highly, anybody is in high, high stress job. I highly, highly recommend boxing, (laughs) kickboxing. If you really want to take it aggressively, you can put the, you know, the people's pictures on there. You can, you can dream scenarios. I've I've changed my mind now. I'm not playing basketball with you anymore. Lala. Just, just, just let you know now manage expectations. Uh, They're all good. It's incredible. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And that's one of the things that I've done in the last, you know, five years, I now have a routine, like whether people are like, oh, why are you up at, you know, 5am getting up to exercise? Because I'm like, that's the only time I can actually exercise because I have young kids right? and, you know, with the job and everything else. But that is my moment. As much as I complain and I'm half asleep at 5am in the morning, that's your time. it just, it just sets my day up. It sets me up. I can daydream. I can, I can, work out my aggressions and I'm ready for the day. And that is one thing that I've learned through the experience that I was, I was cheating myself. I was cheating myself. Like there was this, this piece that I really needed to, to, to keep going. And I just, I decided to give it 200% to my job and, and, and not spend enough time on myself. I won't ever do that again. So you really had to work out as you go what works for you from a, mm-hmm. a health and a mental health and a vitality, uh, a motivation perspective. Now that you're you're also a, a leader of others, and you have been, as you say, for a number of years now. You know, at thirty, you were working with a global team. From from a leadership perspective, now, what what are some of your thoughts or uh, tips for other leaders who are listening to this in relation to? Hopefully, we're coming out of a global pandemic. We're not really sure what's what's coming what's coming towards us and people's perceptions of what makes them happy and the future of work and so many question marks over this. What are you thinking as a leader or hoping as a leader that you can do for other people to, to help guide and support them? Well, I'm hoping we can have, you know, open and, and trustworthy conversations, right? Yeah. I think people should feel, people should trust in, in their community to be able to be open, right? I can't help if nobody asks for help, right? Take my take my previous example that I just talked about. Nobody knew what I was going through. Right. So, and it's and it's a hard subject to just sort of assume, right? Yeah. Um, for sure. So if you don't ask for help, 
help. It's it's hard to give help. <laughs> so open conversation, I think, is one. You know, I think people also should work. Now that we all had the challenges of working from home for over a year, right? Yeah. I think we can all agree working from home is not a vacation. No. But but for certain segments of the population, if you want to be very specific, it it enables them to be more productive because they're not wasting their time commuting. Oh, I agree. And 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 it gives them more family time that maybe maybe their happiness for their mental health. Um, because now they just don't have to commute or they don't have to, you know, just spend in the, stay in the office for FaceTime. They can just be at home. So I think, you know, and I know there's a lot of debate on this and there's a strong belief that certain jobs in our field can only be done from the office. Right. I kind of shrug my shoulders. There, there, there should be a way where we can all meet in the middle. Um, I think it should be individualistic solutions. And, and I think business should keep an open mind because, you know, I think mental health is so critical. And, and why would you, I mean, you want, you want happy employees, right? Especially in financial services where you're not really creating widgets. All we have is people. So you got you got to keep your people engaged and happy. So to me, that that mental health piece is just absolutely critical, and and that could be in anything, right? For me, it's exercise, family. For somebody yeah. else, it could be something else. But you know, financial services can. It's such an interest, interesting industry because it solves sometimes the most complex problems in the world. But when it comes down to people, we just somehow stick to this notion that everybody should be office. No, not really. <laughs> well, may, many of those norms, I think, have been broken now uh, over the last 12 to 14 months, you know, without a shadow of a doubt. And I know what you're describing as well, and I'm passionate about this. I'm just about to write an article uh, with a dear friend. We're talking about uh, culture of inclusivity, the inclusive leader and human-centered leadership. I know you're also passionate about making sure there is a culture of inclusivity, you know, you had your challenges where you were wondering, how, how can I be included? How do I feel part of something? And now you're in a position to, to do something about it, aren't you? And, and promote yourself, a culture of inclusivity. So we get that diversity and that diversity of thought. I'm certainly trying. And look, kudos to, to my employers as well who have given me the chance and the opportunity, right? Because even, even when you want to contribute, it all comes down to somebody willing to include you in the effort, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is all a circle in a circle in a circle. Um, but I, you know, I think there, there are a whole host of things we can do. I mean, I think we should all share information, right? Um, what company X is doing, what they're succeeding on, you know, there's no reason why another company can't have that, have a conversation and see what policies work for them that could be retrofitted and can work for them. Um, so I think information sharing should, should certainly accelerate uh, and that should be an inclusive process. Yeah. Best Um, practice lessons learned or sharing lessons learned. And especially for the smaller firms, right? I mean, large firms always lead the charge, but some of the smaller firms, they don't have the resources, um, so to to bring them along, right? I think I think it's critical, and I think that's very important. Um, and I think from a broadly speaking DNI perspective, you know, there there are a lot of a lot of good good efforts. And I what I'm trying to make talk about like lessons learned before, right? So I'm going to go back to an old conversation we had, previous conversation we had. Yeah. One of the mistakes that I did actually is 
when I was picking my mentors, I always picked people like me. Right. And I and I think that was a that that was a colossal mistake. Not because my mentors were were bad. They were phenomenal. But they were the same they they struggle with the same exact challenges that I struggle with. So in in reality actually, it didn't help solve the the challenges that that I was trying to overcome. Okay. And that's that's a mistake I did. So if anybody is thinking about, you know, mentors and sponsors, I highly encourage you like look for complementary <laughs> skill set and look for the for the other side, other perspective as much as you you try to look for people who are like you. Um I mean, that's that's so relevant to the workplace as well, isn't it? Because I remember uh, one of my guests said that interpersonal comfort trumps organizational change, where we, we try and find people, not through mischief, we just find people who look like us, sound like us, think like us, feel like us, and then we're comfortable. But we've then we've lacked that diversity of thought and the people who have polar opposite opinions who can help us thrive and see things very, very differently. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I, and it's just, and I know it sounds so common sense now, but it, it didn't occur to me at the time, right? I was so thrilled to have these mentors who are senior, who are willing to spend time with me, right? I just, I just got lost in the, I guess, in the joy of that without right. actually taking a step back and, and just thinking about what are the challenges I'm trying to solve and, and, and how can I how can I solve them? I think, so here's the mistake I did in, in conceptual terms. I think I didn't look at the mentorship relationship as if I'm solving a business problem. Right. I looked at it, I think, from a lot of a personal relationship, personal comfort, whereas what I, was, what I should be, have been solving was the business side, and I totally didn't. So these are all really powerful lessons learned and it's interesting how you've amalgamated these and actually through these conversations uh they're now coming to the surface i've got i've, I've got a final question actually for you because this, this has been great and I, I hope you've enjoyed this chat as well um with everything that we've talked about what would be your best advice to a 21 year old lale now with what you know you know i wouldn't change a single thing of what i've done and where i failed i really wouldn't change it i and, and look, and I, let's put it in context, right? For people who look at my profile, I'm I, I, I'm extra, I'm exceptionally privileged, right? I may be gay, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm white. I, I, I went to Ivy League schools. I worked at brand name firms. I'm exceptionally privileged. Right. So I don't want anybody to think that I had, you know, I had my challenges, but probably does not compare um, to to some of the challenges that other people are going. Okay. Um, but I, I would not change a single thing. Life just goes on. You just gotta pick it up and 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 figure out a different way, and and ask for help. I mean, I've just in building that community, that support system is just critical. You can't just do it on your own. And I think that's so. That's probably one lesson I would tell you now that I think about it. Just telling myself that you can't and, do it yeah. on your own, right? No, I. And agree. I'll give you one last example. I know no, you run, but so. When, when I first came to college and I went to Mount Holyoke College, my first year was my hardest year okay. because basketball was, was my religion. I mean, everything, I, I just put so much effort into it. And my coach was so hard on me and he actually kept me on the bench because I was so stubborn and I had this mantra that I can do it all and it's always my way or the highway. And right. that's how I came this far. 
and now that I go back and I think about it, the lesson that he taught me was just, you know, I think the analogy I can use is if you think about like, like a bone that was broken and healed, but healed the wrong way, he sort of had to break the bone so that it can heal in the right way. And that breakage was so hard because I took it so personally that one year that struggling with just that negative feedback, nope, that what you're doing is wrong on the court. You can't do that. And that, it was another lesson what I learned is, which was, I can certainly do it, but A, ask for help, B, ask for guidance, and, and C, just be open to changing and adapting. Um, gotcha. And sometimes I forget about it, but I think you can't just do it all alone. Um, your mental resilience is critical. It's important. But you gotta, you got to ask for help. No, I think that's great advice. And you're right. Life goes on, doesn't it? Especially when we've got kids, it just <laughs> has to. So uh, in many ways, this has been a, a wonderful, a timely, a pertinent, and I think it's an episode that's going to resonate with, with many, many people. So Lala, I just want to say a massive thank you to you for taking the time out. I know you're in a New York City at the moment, so I want you to stay safe there as well. But I just want to say a massive thank you. I hope you've enjoyed being a guest on The Leadership Enigma. Loved it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'll see you soon. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.